All right, and we're back. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Uh, So without further ado, before I let the guests introduce themselves, I've got to say, Nick, I had to kidnap him so the um, the government didn't keep him working so if you see anybody banging on the doors just stay really really quiet he's not home um he's totally not faking it so he can uh, miss work for this podcast but we're totally worth it in the event that he actually was i'm in a con is that enough of a- at, the, at their parking lot they'll never let right me. right right he's technically on the clock but we just we don't ask too many questions that's just a green screen in the background of his normal awesome office well, we're gonna go with it all right nick uh are you ready to ask them the religion question nick Yes, you have I the power am. tonight. The power, the power of religion. Or oh shit, we didn't do. I messed up, Nick. This is all your fault. But I messed up. Uh, we forgot to let them introduce themselves. So, Nikki P, can you introduce yourself to the <laughs> listeners and viewers? Well, we're <laughs> professionals. Uh, hi, I'm Nikki P. Uh, I am a marketing person uh, from Iron Age Marketing, and really into books. So that's how I kind of found my way to this whole world. Uh, it's been a long time since we had good books, and then all of a sudden I found there was this thing where people were making good books again, and I'm like, let's become a part of that. <laughs> okay, and uh, what about you, Richard, of Iron Age Media? Well, I started up uh, Iron Age Media uh, just less than a year ago. It's a website that covers indie creators of a large variety of mediums and genres. Um, I've also recently started up Anvil Magazine, which uh, the first issue is funded and going out uh, very soon. All right. In the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So we were looking to book things, um, do a little bit differently than just standard author interviews. And our good friend of the show, Declan Fence said, Hey, you know, these guys over at um, Iron Age uh, media hashtag, all that sounds really interesting. You should talk to them about it. Um, and he was scheduling you guys with a bunch of other people too. So I said, sure, let's jump on that gravy train. And uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. And now that I've um, covered from my mistake, Nick, now you can ask your question. You know you. what? We'll blame Doc. Thank she's you. not here. Yeah, let's we'll pin it on Doc. She's sick. Wherever doesn't show up, I don't know. Gets, the, the blame gets pinned on. Make sure you, you send the hate mail to her for this episode. Uh, all right. So for the religion question, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? You go first there. Oh, super easy. Firefly. Far and away. Okay. Yeah, same same here. I, I think uh, That's yeah, I, I could go, I could maybe argue for uh, Star Wars, but Firefly, yeah. So you guys would agree that Gail Berman is the devil? <laughs> I actually, I am not upset about uh, Firefly ending where it did. I, I think that the more, uh, it, like some, based on some of the interviews that were given, um that season two might have taken a, a pretty uh different ter- turn in terms of tone so i, I kind of like it the way it is just knowing where just, joss was gonna go i think it's probably better it ended where it did mm-hmm. yeah i just think fox entertainment's where good shows go to die unfortunately yeah yeah they'll have good viewership high ratings and they're like nah kill it <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> for you younger Lizard. viewers Hey, this is going to be for you younger viewers who don't understand the concept of BBR. But back in the day, 
before we had to videotape everything with a little cassette deck, we actually could like tell our TV to record a show at this time slot. And you say, hey, Firefly comes on at Fridays at 9. Record it at Fridays at 9. But it didn't actually record Firefly. It recorded that time slot on that channel. So if they bumped it for something else, you got maybe you got the last hour of a football game and then five minutes of your show and you missed it. And But they didn't adjust for that when they did the Nielsen ratings. So any show that was just bumped by a, by the DVR got horrible ratings and they couldn't figure out what's well, because everyone that's recording it on the go to come back to couldn't do that because you won't like keep a consistent time. And so they got screwed by evolving technology and piss poor management. Mostly the latter, I think. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, all right, Nick, carry the fantasy side of the house. All right. And because we're polytheistic, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian. Go ahead. Conan. I don't like too much politics in my fantasy. I just want dragons and stuff getting slashed up. Word. And bikini yeah, chain mail's not bad. I yeah. I, I, I think um, I, I am not the strongest fan of any of those in terms of what I've actually watched. Um, probably Lord of the Rings is probably the thing that I've, mm -hmm. I've watched the most fantasy-wise. So I'm going to have to uh, okay. Pull the, so, the red herring there. No, that's fine. So we actually used to be uh, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time, or Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. kept beating everyone, so we felt like that was yeah, an unfair yeah. to everything else. And we intentionally picked properties that were our multi-media uh, venues, so mm -hmm. like it had the movies, the books, whatever, because like we're not going to yuck someone else's yam however they engage with content. It's all valid, uh, which means there's some really iconic properties that, you know, Unless you're a book nerd, you might not have heard of. That's mm -hmm. why we try to try to balance it. But yeah, Lord of the Rings for sure for me too. And Nick's a heretic, so he's probably going to say something like the murder hobo. I mean, Game of Thrones. First of all, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. I would take out the Wheel of Time, and I would throw in the Beastmaster or okay, you know, yeah, any of the yeah. other great fantasy movies that came out during my childhood. Eighties and nineties was a good time for fantasy movies. Yes, definitely. 80s and 90s was a good time for all film. As a science mm -hmm. fiction person, uh, man, oh, yeah. we had some real gold there. Yeah, we're going to have a moment of silence where we just get nostalgic for the past. Okay, it's past. <laughs> um, now that we've <laughs> done that. All right, so uh, we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. But, um, Nikki, what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, I mean, in truth, my true love is horror. And it, I like it better when it spills over into the other genres. I, I just love everything weird, I guess, would be my thing. If I had to pick, the thing that really got me started off is technically fantasy. It was the Stephen King's Dark Tower series. I okay. read that and just it was a rabbit hole from there. Couldn't get enough. Okay, what about you, Richard? Sci-fi uh, or fantasy? Sci-fi, definitely. I... Uh, I well, I, I don't know. I think that um, some of the blendings before those had fully separated is where I probably got started. But I, 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 I love sci-fi. That's definitely my bread and butter. Okay, same. That's a good answer. Same, Richard. Same. It's like you guys are twins or something. So, what was your <laughs> first memory of engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it uh, games, TV, books, movies? Like, where did you discover the genre, Nikki? Um, 
honestly was reading through my dad's old books. Like my my dad was an avid reader, and you know, I just when I, I think I read through everything that was R.L. Stein and Fear Street or whatever <laughs> that the school had to offer. Eventually, I started picking up my dad's books, like The Dark Half and stuff like that. Okay, what about you, Richard? Um, yeah, I would also say books. Um, I think the uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I would have started with. I think one of the the earliest books that I started with, um, where I got really interested in them, were the Dinotopia series. Oh by, yeah, uh, James Gurney. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but those are. I am. Uh, beautifully illustrated and uh, wonderful stories uh, for children. And uh, yeah, so that, that, and then, um, you know, like, I, I, I guess, what, did you guys ever watch Wishbone whenever you were a kid? That was probably another. <laughs> I think that came out after us, after oh, okay. I was young. My kids watched it though. Young whippersnapper. Um, what about you, Nick? Did you ever watch the Dinotopia? Was that your jam back in the day? Nah. I was watching uh, like Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, well, okay. Dinotopia is only a book series. I think it has the TV series, but oh. it, it was kind of, it was like a. I didn't read a whole, yeah. I, I was reading a lot of the, um, I guess it's considered the uh, legacy series of Star Wars. I was reading a lot of that when I was mm-hmm. younger. Like yeah. Splinter Rogue in the Squadron. Oh, Wedge is the man, dude. <laughs> I'm just saying Love Porkins. Wedge. He has a special place in my heart. Yeah, they didn't write much about Porkins. He. Uh, they should have. It's a critical failure on Lucas's part. <laughs> he he got fried up like a chicharrone. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nicky, did you like the Dinotopia? I'm a huge dinosaur nerd, so. Uh, honestly, I didn't have much exposure to that until I think later on, you know, get, getting bored and seeing what did I miss when I was a kid. What was I? What was I interested in back then? Okay. All right. If you if you liked the Dinotopia, dear listener, you should you should comment on that in the in the comment section wherever you're listening. And we'd love to hear about it. But uh, lest I ramble, Nick, the next question is yours. <laughs> I'll, I'll save you. I'll throw you a lifeline. Uh, what do you love most about speculative fiction as a genre? Uh, that's a – Yeah, I was going to say, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I just always like seeing the way that people take, um, you know, potential – ideas and extrapolate them out into interesting um you know places that i never would have taken them otherwise that's one of the reasons why i like sci-fi in particular is that you have a more formulaic response to adding in um like particular technology or a alien race or something you know and uh, exploring that that whole theory of of how things interact and what shakes out of all those changes Okay, and if you hear a dog barking in the background, that's just Nick's kids. They're running around acting like crazy. Don't blame the dogs. I, I mute when I'm not talking now because I, I don't know. They're they're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they're adorable though when you share pictures. Oh yeah, they're they're like really super sweet and cute, and they're very photogenic. But if you have to live with them, you're like, today's the day I strangle a dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I think I, uh, I, if, ahead, if you wanted me to comment on that one, I mean, for me, I love the idea of kind of getting in a window to how people see solving the big problems is 
because all speculative fiction, you're, you're, you're looking at ways that people think we can create a better society in one way or another, um, especially like within science fiction. Or they're warning us about the terrible things they're going to do to us. Either way, it's good to, to know rather than not know. Some books, it's, it's important that we remind them that it was a cautionary tale and not a how-to manual. <laughs> well, V for I, Vendetta I, I comes would, to mind. I would actually argue if you look into the history of most of the people that have written our classic sci-fi, no, I think they were actually just telling us what they were doing. It was the coming attractions. Yeah. <laughs> 1984 is really kind of up front I'll, and center with the playbook. I mean, look at Aldous Huxley's <laughs> relationship to the eugenics movement. I got in a fist fight once discussing eugenics. <laughs> That's usually what happens. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, I won the fight. Therefore, I won the argument. <laughs> this is the way. This is how it works. This is the way. This is the way. All right, Mick. I think we're on number 10. We don't want to go right. too violent or they'll censor us. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, no. We just, we, we're doing so well. All right. Uh, let's start off with Nikki. Uh, how did your love of the speculative fiction genre transition into your writing stories in the wild world of speculative fiction? Well, <clears throat> it's a... Uh... It's been kind of a a will they won't they thing my whole life. Like, am I ever going to be able to do this? Really, ultimately, I, I will say I kind of gave up on the writing of the fiction as opposed to trying to help other people create their vision. Because I'll be honest, as much fun as writing is, it's way more fun reading for me. So, um, I guess the most active way for me that it has lived out is you know working in the TTRPG realm. Um, anytime I get to DM or GM with one of the games I like to play, that's probably the, the most selling outlet that I have. Uh, what games do you like to play? Uh, I New World of Darkness is my favorite, and uh, you know D and D is always fun. Classics, okay. classics. I like it. I like it. Oh, Richard, uh, you want to take a stab at this one? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm not. I you know, I'm not an author, but. I have, you know, decided to get involved in this because I have noticed the uh, quality of fiction declining, I feel like, in the past, especially the past decade. And, um, you know, I was drawn in particular to trying to foster short fiction because I think that uh, some of the most interesting ideas um, that are most, uh, you know, unencumbered by kind of a larger... Um, story uh, are often from short fiction. So they're long enough to, uh, you know, illustrate an interesting idea, but not so long that um, they feel the need to, um, you know, satisfy every bit of the reader's desires and communicate all of the things of a broader, you know, like a proper character arc and a, you know, lore background and all these other things that uh, usually pop up. So that's kind of why I, I'm going to take that to mean more like Anvil. That's why I decided to get into publishing Anvil and kind of acting as an editor in that regard. I um I love short fiction too. That's actually how I started reading because uh, my sisters were in Girl Scouts, so I was sort of stop tagging along, and they had all of those uh, Reader's Digest questions or not oh, yeah. questions. Oh, yeah. um, the Reader's Digest, you know, stories that are like basically mm -hmm. turning larger stories into short stories. And so I just, I'm kind of passionate about it. So I like that, uh, that you're, you're involved there. I think people would be surprised at how much of the iconic science fiction shows that they grew up watching were inspired by Philip K. Dick's short stories. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has the most um, converted properties from his short story collections. Yeah. Uh, that or probably Stephen King, but you never know. Well, I would say actually, I would say the, the, I would go with Bradbury, except for the problems. Bradbury was actually writing most of those shows himself, also, so it wasn't <laughs> converting. He just straight up wrote the episodes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's fair. But, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm a huge uh, supporter of of short fiction, so we'll have to get together offline and see if we can um, we can bump some of those shows because I'm a uh, like we do we used to do short fiction Wednesday interviews if we found authors that had stuff they wanted to talk about with their short content. And that's always fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but Nick, save me from myself again and ask number 11. Always, always. I got a lifeline ready for you. It's on hot standby. Many authors uh, let their own real life experiences influence stories they tell. Uh, were there any specific formidable moments that really shaped you as a storyteller, Nick? Not me, Nick, you, Nick. <laughs> wow. He's asking himself a question. This is great. That's very he's metal. Lost it. It's very um, metal. I don't I don't know if there's any like special moment uh for me just the, the ability to immerse yourself in another world has always really been the draw I guess growing up a fairly nerdy kid my desire to escape the boredom of everyday life and do something anything else is really what kind of drew me to that so the, the more excitement the better I guess yeah escapism okay. finding yourself in the hero or the villain depending on what you're reading which in that regard, like the escapism quality of it is, I think what draws guys like me and Richard to what we're trying to do mm-hmm. within the NIH movement is we weren't getting the quality of our escapism that we wanted. And we yeah. found this, this other people starting to do it and not getting noticed or you know, failing to be able to put all the pieces together to push what they're trying to do. And, you know, you know, it was nice for me that like I have skills that I could help people build their name, build their audiences, make enough money that maybe they can keep doing this. And in a very self-serving way, keep making stories that I want to read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. That's a good answer. Yeah. It makes sense. So, That's why I started doing indie comics. Absolutely. So this is the, um, so you guys are not producing content like we normally we would interview authors and you would be talking, mm-hmm. we would talk to them about what they've produced, but um, you guys have both helped other people get their content out to market. So we'll start with you, Richard. What is the piece of fiction? It doesn't matter if it's short, long, whatever. What is the piece that you've helped bring to market that you're the most proud of? Do you have a favorite? Now, obviously you love all of your children equally, but um, they're not listening. So, well, okay. I mean, it's not quite out to market yet, but I am very happy with the feature story from Anvil issue number one, which is the Fleet of Theseus uh, by Daniel J. Snow. Okay, um, he's uh, um, a fiction author who is actually the son of another author that I knew, but I I I, I didn't know that I knew whenever I was uh, selecting the stories. So that's personally probably my favorite. Um, piece that's come out as far as things that have gone up on the website i'm i i I would have to think back on it um you know or or things that i've promoted i'm not sure i i think that i i would have to kind of revisit that um quite a bit so i I don't know That, that that's my best answer the the feature story for issue number one of anvil all right Okay. And what about you, Nikki? 
Well, and, and, and for me, I, allow me to say, I'm very new with a lot of this. Like he's been around less than a year. I've been around even less time than he has. I, I heard Iron Razor Fist mentioned Iron Age on a podcast like maybe six months ago. I'm like, I have to be involved with this. And so I think in I think my first episode of Iron Age Marketing Podcast came out in January. And I've been releasing, you know, weekly episodes talking to um, independent authors or even some people that have like, you know, publishing deals and stuff like that. And one of the things that has been an issue is making a book now is easier than it's ever been. Like actually from producing a book is super mm-hmm. easy. But the part that comes after that is no one ever talks about it. No one's like, Hey, how do you actually get people to read it? How do you get in front of people? And so I'm trying to take, you know, my past five years of working in marketing and podcasting and put give authors a platform and give them a place to talk about the part that nobody ever talks about. Like what has worked for you? How did you manage to get an audience? How are you not buried in obscurity? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find even when I have guests on that like, oh, they're still pretty buried in obscurity. And, you know, here's there's ways that we can help fix that. You know, if it's, whether it's email lists, it, it, there's very simple, non-complicated things that you can do to help people get out there. Um, even like most people will be afraid to go on podcasts and things like that. Like, what do I have to say? And it's like, if you can make somebody not have to work on what to put out content wise for a week, <laughs> they'll probably yeah. have you on because it's just makes their life easier. Come up with any kind of concept, pitch it. And more than likely people will have you on if you're not a total loser or total weirdo. And, and coming from Nick and I have been doing podcasts for a long time ourselves. The other big thing that have get you on, and it doesn't matter how new you are to the game if you're willing to share it, because it's, you know, podcasting that the guest plays his equal role of sharing to his audience as you do sharing to yours. And when you get authors who have a reputation for not, or, you know, content creators for not returning the favor, won't oh, share absolutely. it. You just, they stop getting invited back after a while. That is absolutely, absolutely. It's a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship. And it's been a topic of conversation on my show in which I've talked to guests. Like now I've actually have had fairly, people that you'd think would be a good guest for a guest and then they don't do anything to promote the episode. It's like, dude, I took my time. I put a mm-hmm. lot of effort into producing my episodes, making sure the content SEO and all that stuff is good. And then you don't even give me a tweet, like the bare minimum of anything. And it's, it's frustrating when that happens. And it's more frustrating when it's coming from someone who frankly doesn't have much of a following to begin with, but they can't even give you like, mm. you might get yeah. five people out of them, but they can't even give you that. You're like, I'm kind of kind of get why nobody knows who you are. (laughs) We actually, we've actually had some of our surprisingly high traffic episodes were from debut authors because they shared the heck out of it. And I don't know if they twisted arms and got their granny and their you know their neighbor and Bob from up the street, but they got views. So I don't think your reach on sales necessarily is the same as your reach with with your getting yourself out there. It's just how willing you are to grind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, When you first brought me on, when you guys interviewed me. I boosted my tweets and I only had like yeah. maybe 150 people that, you know, followed me and I, I, I boosted on Facebook because I'm like, Hey, look, it's me. I'm on a podcast. So the, actually, when we, we, we've told the story briefly, I think, but we'll elaborate when we first did, you know, we got along when Nick and I were tweeting or tweeting, uh, you know, going back and forth in messenger, him and I and doc, we're like, okay, there's chemistry. Let's do a voice call just to make sure. Cause not everyone has the voice for the personality for radio. Shall we say I've got the face for it, but so we were doing a, a live, you know, uh, That's FaceTime my message. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, we did a FaceTime message where the three of us were talking and his wife came in and threatened to stab him because he was taking too long. And we're like, well, we can't let him die for nothing. So we had to have him on the show. <laughs> yeah. It was a pity we didn't hire. Want to stab you to get him. It was, it was a pity hire, but you know, we're glad we did. <laughs> All right. So she before we, nickname. yeah, that's how she got a nickname stabby. Cause she literally threatened to stab. She had a butcher knife, Richard, a butcher knife in her hand. You don't mess with a woman with a butcher knife. No, no, no. you shouldn't. It's not the, not the recipe for a long life. Yeah, there's no good ways out of that situation. No. So before we dive into this uh, this hashtag uh, for the Iron Age and Iron Age media in general, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man. So thank you for this one, Larry and John. Once, long ago, Jackson Rook was a war hero. Raised from boyhood to pilot a mech, he fought gallantly for the rebellion against the collectivists. Now he's a criminal, a smuggler with a new mission. Steal a top-of-the-line mech and deliver it to a world so hostile, even the air will kill you. In the smuggling business, it's best to take the money and ask no questions. But when the client runs roughshod over the planet's citizens, Rook must look deep inside and see if the heart of a warrior still beats within. Gunrunner, by best-selling authors Larry Correa and John Brown. From Bane Books at BaneBooks.com. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And um, so before we get started, um, why don't either one of you can answer from here on out. It's just, you know, you're, you're both working with the Iron Age media and Iron Age marketing and the hashtag and all that. So what was the origin for this? How did this all start? Well, I, I mean, as far as I know, the term, the earliest usage of the term in terms of like comics and culture was from uh, Peter Samedi over in Alterna Comics. He mentioned it kind of as like an Iron Age return to basics. Um, and then later, uh, Razor Fist, who by his own admission, he wasn't sure where if he'd heard the term or if he just came up with it. He popularized it with um, the Iron Age of you know, he was talking about comics, but at that point in time, I took it and ran with just kind of everything, you know, because I'm, I'm more of a, uh, there's a lot, there's other mediums that are much more familiar to me and interesting to me than, than comic books. Not to say I'm not interested in them. I just historically haven't been as into comic books. So don't cry. It's, it's going to be okay. He just hasn't read your comic books yet. Oh, it's, it, it's I'm just making faces for the YouTubers. <laughs> so what is it that, so that's the sort of how you heard of it and, and sort of where it went from there. But, but what made you decide, you know what, I really care about this fantasy stuff and I want to try to improve the market. Cause a lot of people complain about things and then do nothing about it. Um, well, my, my kind of canned answer is that, you know, Many years ago, I was very, uh, very concerned about politics, right? I was very involved in politics. I still think that that's important. But at the time, I was I kind of became disenchanted with the ability or at least my ability to affect any kind of political change. And so then I looked into finances and whatnot. And that's where I kind of got into crypto for a while. And I've, I've played around with that because I think that, you know, um, it's very difficult uh, to win against the house. You know what I mean? So, you know, try and build your own house. But then after a while in crypto, I realized that um, a lot of the people who were building the systems, the libertarians had largely fled the area um, and had been replaced with the exact same, like culturally identical people as everybody else you would expect in a, you know, uh, San Diego or San Francisco 
uh, you know, flat. And so uh, all these people, or at least all the people who controlled the culture of crypto were all mostly left wing. And there's a few exceptions, but it's not, you know, it, it, it made me realize that I was once again pushing on the wrong buttons. And so I was looking for ways to get involved in culture. And um, I, actually, I wasn't necessarily even doing that. I was just kind of thinking about it. And then Razorfist put out that video and I went, oh, yeah, you know what? Um, this particular crypto project that I've been on is kind of stalled out for a month and I'm going to take a month and build a website, you know? And then everything just kind of uh, like tumbled after that, you know? So. Okay. What about you, Nikki? So you came on after the fact. So what was it that said, you know, I want to take that plunge? Well, for me, like, that's funny. I have a very similar story. I was involved in libertarian, libertarian politics for a long time and then kind of got disenfranchised with that and got really involved in the homestead movement. And, you know, I found those people way cooler because they were all doing stuff. One of the things mm -hmm. you're always doing is, you know, find your own business, find your thing to do. And so I started getting really, really into marketing and kind of chasing that down as a way that I can have a job where I don't have to show up to the factory anymore or whatnot. And, you know, one of the joys of my week is listening to Gary at Nerdrotic and uh, the Critical Drinker talk about, you know, nerd stuff, the stuff that so I've always been passionate about and liked reading. And Razor Fist comes on. He has this video at some point he gets into the mix and he does this hail to the iron age. And so I you know, start looking around searching for the iron age. Eventually I find Richard's website here and I'm like, I can remember geekly, like super excited <laughs> to find the website and message. Like, Dude, how can I help? What can I do? Please lead me. Uh, and eventually I just kind of think found my own thing to do within the movement. But this, this idea, once I started meeting people, especially within this circle, um, it was just so many people, that were uh, had come from similar places I had or had similar ideas. Uh, I was always surprised at how many Christian people were writers. And it's like, I didn't realize there were that many Christian people left in the world. I'm not <laughs> Christian, but I'm, <laughs> it was interesting to find it's like, wow, there's so many people writing Catholic books. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. But I, I also felt like there was a, a bit of a, maybe an over indexing towards people that kind of wanted to necessarily make it about politics. And I don't think it had to be for me. It was more about this idea of, and, and I'm, I'm an old school leftist. Like we were, we talked military where I'm like, no, I, I read Noam Chomsky way too early to get involved in the military. <laughs> and so for me, it was about left or right. It doesn't matter. The whole system is corrupt and it's promoting things that are in nobody's best interests. I don't care if you're an LGBTQ person or if you're, a right winger, whatever you are, there's people that put more interest in fomenting ideas than putting out content than anybody wants. And I don't care what company you're looking at. Is it Disney, Fox, whatever? Nobody is really giving anybody what they want. And they're expecting us to hand over our hard earned money. And part of that works because they have this giant apparatus set in place to do all that. And having worked in marketing I realize it doesn't have to be that complicated. There's simple things that smaller creators can do to build their own audiences. More importantly, we're looking at trust and in institutions collapse around us every day. Like everybody's getting sick and tired and, you know, can't believe the people that are around them. So, you know, I, I'm like, how can I step in and help this? And kind of these people that have cool ideas and whatnot, go out and find the biggest audiences that they can. 
Okay. So <laughs> when you say um, the Iron Age hashtag, the Iron Age media hashtag, so what, like obviously it's it's fantasy because um, Iron Age fantasy. What makes you different than the general sword and sorcery? Well, I I don't know, and, and feel free to jump in, um, but this is a this is kind of a, a the Iron Age is more a discussion of a, a history. That, thing. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's it's more of a recognition of an existing set of things that are happening, like you yeah, know the Golden I mean? Age of comics, the the Silver Age, yeah. Of comics, so so those things were, age. yeah. The using comics as an example, the Golden Age and Silver Age, these are things that were retroactively applied to something right mm -hmm. you know what i mean they didn't go out and announce themselves as the golden age necessarily and uh i've had some people criticize the term the iron age because we're like kind of declaring it but i would make the argument that um you have within the science fiction and fantasy realm you have the sad puppies movement and then you had um like the the gamergate uh whole debacle which wasn't terribly creative but it was it was more of a fan driven reaction, and since then you've seen a, a growing number of indie games, although they haven't been particularly any ideologically different. Um, and then you've seen Comicsgate, really, and then like Pulp Rev and all these other things start bubbling up. To me, the Iron Age is a recognition of all of these um, existing creator driven um, movements, if you will. So creators are already like saying, screw the publishers. We're doing direct to the customer. I'm not worrying about anything except quality. And I say quality over ideology is one of my, mm -hmm. you know, catchphrases. And so that's, that's kind of the, the, the thing that has driven some of my thinking at least. I, well, I don't know I, how you feel about that. Well, same here for sure. Like the, to me, Iron Age was the idea of, you know, individuals going out and forging their own path mm -hmm. saying we don't need you to build a way for us we're going to do it ourselves i'm going to assist that's why when anvil came out i'm like there, there's nothing not a more perfect perfect name for a magazine for like this movement than Anvil's. you're going to go out you're going to forge it you're going to hammer this out make it whatever you want it to be and you're going to go cut down anything in your way to make this happen like this so to me like nothing but iron age really makes sense to describe what it is so what i'm hearing is your your movement is a response to fans consumers of the content saying we're not being served you're ignoring us for insert reasons because each side has a different reason for ignoring the consumers and you're trying to meet the need that's not being filled is that correct i, I would say it's that and at, at least for myself i think that there's a lot of different little nascent movements that are around comicsgate and pulp rev um, and some of the just smaller indie pub, like supervisive, um, I believe I'm saying that correctly. So there, there's all these little, I don't want to call them clicks because they're not necessarily that, but there's all these little subgroups out there. And the thing about them is, is that, um, and you see this all the time, like let's take, uh, Isom number one, for example, uh, people are criticizing Eric July for not moving faster. Right. Or, you know, um, they they've said oh well we need more you know we need more and that's fine you know that's kind of a problem you want to have but the, there are bandwidth restrictions whenever you're kind of not in the um factory production method of things and so i think that there's a lot of fans who are in comics gate who if they wanted to read some short fiction 
they might actually be interested in this, but all the short fiction they've been exposed to is just kind of garbage, you know, or it just doesn't exist because they don't care. You know what I mean? They, they, they get some kind of um, like thinly veiled analog for the political topic of the day yeah. with a, with some magic spray painted over the top of it and told that, Oh, this is good fantasy. You know what I mean? And, uh, so they're like, I don't even like fantasy. It's not that they don't like fantasy. It's just that they don't like the garbage that is in the mainstream. So yeah, they don't like their options. Yeah, the exactly. So really to me that my, my goal with the iron age is to let people know, especially within these little groups that are already consuming this content, let them know that there are other people in totally different mediums and genres that they might want to um, check out essentially. Well, in and to, to group like piggyback on that for me so much about this is when you understand economics and you can see why things happen. The real issue with a lot of the media is, is that you have people in charge pandering to very small subsets mm -hmm. at the expense of larger groups of people. And this does two things. Frankly, the subset that they're pandering to gets a watered down filtered version. Cause they still have to kind of make it more mainstream. Mm-hmm. But going after that niche in the first place takes the broadcast media and makes it niche media. And so now you've, you've upset everyone else in that. The irony is saying, why do any of us have to water down our media? Why do we have to watch anything that's not what we want? There's a million creators out there. Like I'm a musician. And so a lot of this happened in the music industry 20 years ago when you got mm -hmm. really cheap to record music and put out your own albums that suddenly any taste that you could ever want to meet was suddenly out there. You could find the literal perfect band for you. Well, and now the fiction movement is having its own renaissance in that way where everything has been democratized. Making books and comics is so easy now that you can be a Jewish Mo from your mama's basement and put out whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, the quality is going to maybe not be the best, <laughs> but well, yeah, everybody has a voice now is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the it, thing it is, really if we depends. nurture those, we nurture those voices. Eventually, we will start getting higher caliber writing in all of yeah. those things. If if the, the more of those people don't have to work straight jobs and can right. like support themselves with it, then eventually, think, we'll, yeah. <laughs> to strengthen those to strengthen those voices is doing stuff like you do by inspiring and helping people bring their ideas to light. Because I do that too on the comic book side of the house. Mm -hmm. I got people coming up to me like, "Hey, Nick, how much for your time?" I'm like. What are you doing? Oh, I'm an entity creator. My time is free. What do you got? Mm -hmm. You know, here's the things that I've learned in Jesus. Oh my God. 12 years doing this is that I didn't have anybody to help me when I started. Mm -hmm. So any chance I get to help somebody else to learn about my pitfalls and tribulations and what worked, what didn't work, where to get your book printed, whatever. I'm your guy. I'm going to hook you up. Just don't text me at like four o'clock in the morning. I, I'm asleep. Well, look, I did it one time. All right. I'm you sorry. You did it twice, JR. Twice. And then you text Stabby, who's also asleep, to wake me up, which she did by stabbing me with her knuckle. <laughs> well, it's funny you joke about that. I think, like, you know, I, I do take money for the services after, but I, I'll end any any of my first How much calls with charge. Well, charge now. What I well, here's the thing. So I, I'll end any conversation. <laughs> I, I'll do a co single consultation, and then I'll leave it as this. And we can leave this meeting one of two ways. You, you can be my friend, 
and then you email me, you message me, I'll do my best to get back to you. Now, if you need it quicker than that, you can start paying me and I'll, I'll go to yeah. work for you. It's yeah, like you, you pay difference. me to be like an out employee. My, my time when I have it to give, you know, you can have as much of that as you want for free. Yeah, um, there's you definitely have to make that distinction because you start getting away free advice. Most of the times they won't take it because it's free. Apparently, anything <laughs> that has value needs to be paid for with something of value. Well, what's, and what's you're funny, absolutely right. Clients versus friends, which can be the, both. All of the people that have talked to in this space, like every everyone who's writing, doing comics, books, whatever out there, I've never met anyone who's not willing to share what they have. Like everyone who's been on the show is like, please, if you have questions, message me, email me, call me, whatever. And I will do my best to help you because, you know, no one who's gone through the grind wants anyone else to have to go through what they had to. Like they, they want it to be, I think because so well, many of us are fans. Like we, there's so many, there, there's some people who definitely, I think do have that sentiment, but. Um, I haven't met him yet. Thankfully. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, anyway, but there, I think that, broadly speaking the the spirit of the iron age is also that and i think it's a recognition that we have a lot of um lost skills <laughs> you know what i mean like I, I feel like there's a lot of skills that have been uh uh that used to be able to if you wanted to for for writing or something like that you really wanted a, a top tier education and literature and everything else you could go to a college for that you know what i mean and you could actually get something of value out of that that's been gutted you know what I mean? And so all of these skills have been kind of scattered to the wind. They're out there for free, usually. Mm -hmm. But finding all of this stuff and reassembling a um, proper set of tools for some of these creators to actually start working with is quite difficult. So, um, you know, I think that that's another key like key part of the the whole iron age moniker in my mind anyway well and that and that's awesome that you guys are doing that because you're dead on in in your assessment it's like there are a lot of lost skills out there yeah so what do you think like you mentioned lost skills is there anything that you think is the most um that you've noticed the most problematic when it comes to these i don't know if problematic is the right word but that you see the most people struggling with when they're trying to get themselves into this creative space you know, I, okay, this is kind of a, a, a weird but very broad, and this is because it is the most, at least in my opinion. I think the biggest skill is still out there, obviously, but the biggest skill that I see a lot of people lacking um, is just a sense of professionalism and the fact that yeah. um, just because you are indie does not mean that you, and maybe you are technically an amateur, it doesn't mean you need to act like one. You know what I mean? You can, you can be a novice, but... There are a lot of uh, a lot of people that I've seen struggle with. They they don't realize that they lack that that um, that skill. And some people are very easy to work with. And those are the people who I think have an appreciation for everybody's time involved. You know what I mean? But then you have other people who don't have any appreciation for your time. And um, you know, oftentimes I see them struggling later on. It's because they don't. They don't even have an appreciation for their own time. You know what I mean? And so I, I would say broadly speaking, that's probably it. As far as like literary capabilities and, and artistic skill and everything else, I'm, I don't know. I'm not talented enough to necessarily critique those people, at least in my opinion. So I like so terrible can, stuff too. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll send you some of my earlier work. You'll love it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, well in, in addition to what he was going to say, the thing that I think is probably – a skill that 
and this is partly because of the, the demographic of people we tend to be working with. Um, everyone, the big thing you're trying to do when you're trying to sell and market and do all this stuff is build relationships and, you know, foster community. And in general, we tend to be dealing with people that like to be left alone to read a lot. And mm -hmm. so going out and, and doing the things that are necessary to build community and to sell yourself, which are useful skills in absolutely every walk of life. They're definitely, um, you know, I, I had a, had a, an, uh, an interview this earlier, this or last week that the guy's released multiple books. I'm, you know, he's done very well. And I'm surprised at how little of the, the things that I would deem are just absolutely necessary to build a fan base. He's done. He's functioning, I guess, as a writer, but like his, his own like level of communication is holding him back from what he could be doing more of just because, you know, he's, he's a quiet guy and kind of likes to keep to himself. And unfortunately, when you're trying to build community and foster growth and whatnot, you meet people more like you, you have to go out and do the legwork of actually going out there or at least putting yourself out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I would love for that situation to be different in the future. You know, and that's part of mm -hmm. what the whole Iron Age media thing is. It's trying to like take some of that pressure off of creators. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that unless you're willing to hire somebody to be your, your face and your, um, you know, like your community building and everything else, and you can actually do that in an authentic manner, uh, you know, like you're going to have to do it yourself at mm -hmm. least at first. So um, it's very, it's, it's a difficult, you're right. It, it is largely the number of people or the type of people that are drawn to the creative space, especially on the writing side. Um, it, it's I, difficult. And I think like it's going to become more and more important, like the authenticity part, of it, because like I mentioned earlier, institutions are failing. Trust is at an all time low. And then we add deep fakes and AI into this mix and Oof. it's becoming harder and harder to trust anything. And so if you can build and foster trust people and who you are, like I think that the personal small group relationships that you can build with different authors is just only going to become more important because you sure can't trust any of the big names because what's this, you, you, you want to get upset about Star Trek and um, Sulu and his Twitter and the fact that he's never actually run his Twitter. Somebody runs his Twitter, so God knows what he actually thinks. Mm -hmm. You know, you want people that are, engaging with the audiences themselves and being being a part of that community and it's only going to become more important i think right jr you got something else you want to add <laughs> yeah no i was uh muted because you know i'm a professional and i've done this before um <laughs> so, nah, so you're you my cough and my dog yeah <laughs> so you mentioned earlier anvil what exactly is that uh richard so um Anvil Iron Age magazine is my attempt at um, kind of bringing back a, I, I don't want to call it like a centralized brand, but I wanted to try my hand at branding out actual content that was a um, kind of a smattering of what indie creators within the Iron Age uh, had to offer. And so it's, uh, comics and the first issue is just one comic um, and then uh, a collection of short stories and a couple of uh, short reviews and um, 
in this this first one there's also a solo rpg which is very fun but i'm not going to be doing that again because that's a lot of uh it's a lot more editing work than i anticipated <laughs> initially um yeah but the issue number one has the 11 page preview from ghost of the badlands by razor fist and george alexopoulos in it you can actually see it in its entirety on their campaign right now but this will be the first time it's in print and it's going to be definitely higher quality um, than what is available digitally right now. And then um, five illustrated short stories. Um, whenever I say that, I mean, each one has at least two um, illustrations and uh, then two more from the Iron Age Media prompt submissions which are, are constantly rolling over, but those are just two that I enjoyed in particular. We wanted to get them in there. And uh, the the solo RPG, which is kind of a choose your own adventure with a little bit of dice roll. <laughs> you had me at choose your own adventure. So uh, that yeah, was and it, it is still it is still in demand for a little bit longer. So if you want to check it out, um, you can go to Indiegogo. Uh, or just go to ironage.media and click the banner for Anvil Magazine. Okay. So is that going to be available um, in print as well, or is it just going to be digital? Oh, it's it's currently only physical right now. Okay. Um, they'll, I'll be sending out a, a digital copy with every physical um, two weeks after shipping, just because I want people to get the physical copy first and um, kind of get a feel for how that works. The second issue, I'm likely to offer a digital-only tier after dealing with um, the insanity of international shipping rates and having some people oh, yeah. frustrated by that. So, <laughs> Is this only going to be the Iron Age media and Iron Age movement? Is this purely going to be a fantasy-based thing, or do you think you'll expand into science fiction? Oh, I mean, I, 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 oh, yeah. I mean, like in, uh, in Anvil, we've got uh, kind of... Let's see. We we have speculative sci-fi, uh, which is that fleet of Theseus that I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed all these, obviously, but um, you know we have a kind of a Sherlock Holmesian paranormal story. We've got uh, classic sword and sandal, um, a cyberpunk action, and so and then a sort of um, vaguely faith-based fantasy as well. So there's there's a big like broad set and we're already taking story submissions for the second issue. And that's going to be vaguely kind of like a light horror theme. Um, Cause that'll be coming out in October. So. Well, I mean, in, in general, the iron age thing really to me is just a, a self publishing moniker. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, almost a place of self publishing. It, it's, think... it, it's more about delivery method and how big you are. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. you're not a traditional publisher. You're not a major corporate entity. And um, you're providing primarily direct to customer. You know what I mean? So you're not selling to Netflix to sell to their customers. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the fantasy part of like where, where people assume that it's fantasy is because, you know, for the, well, well, I don't even know about that. But for the past year, the people that have been crapped on the most by media are people that are interested in Lord of the Rings, the fantasy people. Mm, like, yeah, that's very that's true. a soul, a, a recent wound that we've all gone through. And it's just affected that community more. So the timing lines up with that. But I mean, it's whatever, whatever your poison, whatever your niche is. I mean, it, it's about that niche. Mm -hmm. it's just go out and make the content you want. I 100%. think 
fantasy, at least epic fantasy, is struggling right now because they've got the George R. R. Martin, Patrick Rothfuss um, problem where they've got series that were never finished and they're they're feeling like, well, well I'm not going to get burned again, so they won't try new series. And then it's making it harder for people to break in as well. Well, and I've talked to a lot of authors on my show and they they rush to create the first couple books in anything. Publishers don't like them because they want to know because they want them to sell series, but nobody wants to read them until the series is finished because of how badly people got burned by George. And it's, it's sad to hear. I personally also think that the market is just saturated with series. I think that you had a cart driving the horse situation. You know, the publishers are supposed to serve readers. And I think that, something around like 20, 30 years ago, we probably had kind of an inversion where the market became um, largely centralized so that then the publishers started reading each other's notes and they all said, oh man, the series so well. Okay, let's get a series. Okay. And I think that as things have gotten more centralized um, over the last uh, 20 years, at least in the mainstream, right? Or the legacy media, I would say, not just as far as like news, but I, I lump that in with basically all media formats that are, you know, from the past 50 to 100 years. Um, these legacy media publishers saw what sold well and they just went, oh, well, we want more of those things rather than like, why did that stuff sell well? That was too hard of a problem. You know what I mean? They just started copying each other. Well, it's even more entertaining when you look at the stuff that like, all the big names of the past, you know, 30, 40 years, what were they, what was the stuff that got them to be writers in the first place? If you go, if you go and read on writing by Stephen King, like it's just a big homage to EC comics and (laughs) Lovecraft and all of the short stories of the Mm fifties. That's the stuff that made all of this what it is. So the idea that it all has to be giant novels and epic tales, it's like, that's contrary to how the, this community has ever functioned. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you guys like one of the things that's come out in the last so long is there's been a push with traditional versus indie publishing when it comes to some of the, when it's come to some of the award spaces. So a lot of the literary awards, if you're not Bain or tour or penguin random house or whatever of the other three that are left hard to keep track these days with all the mergers, but you really didn't have a chance to, to win those awards. So for a while it was Dragon, but they've made some changes recently to how they're doing that. And so everyone said, well, money's going to be my only reward. Like I'll, I'll laugh all the way to the bank. Do you see something coming out of your, your movement where they make their own award for, you know, fans of this movement by fans of this movement? I think it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's inevitably, well, I'm actually really curious what your, your take on this is, Nikki. I'm personally of the opinion that one of the biggest changes in the past decade is that um, is the move uh, from some people. They like congregate into brands because people love brands more Mm -hmm. than like individual pieces of content. Usually speaking, Mm -hmm. I feel like Um, so they'll go to like HBO and they'll just kind of watch. They'll just consume whatever HBO has for them. Um, Well, so I think it's a two-way street. For the longest time, I knew that, honestly, Amazon was going to give me stuff that I enjoyed watching. Mm -hmm. Like, they they put out The Expanse, and they put out, you know, The Tick. And they put out, for my tastes, Netflix wasn't going to give me anything I wanted. I was going to go to Amazon. That's 
definitely changed in the past five years. But at the bottom line is I'm a dad. I've got a job. I've got kid, you know, wife and kid. It's it's easier to just say that like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a part of this thing or this is what I want because I don't want to make, I don't have time to make a lot of decisions. And it's mm-hmm. easier for people to kind of pay oh, 100% and find that thing that you gravitate towards. Just, oh, it's, it's that. That's what it is. But, you know, I don't think any of us ever really stops looking for something new and great. That That's true. I, I think that it is it is born out of um, like trying to streamline decision making. Mm-hmm. But I think that a, a side effect of that is that you've also seen influencers rise mm-hmm. as as marketing entities in mm-hmm. the past decade. And so I think it's inevitable that there's going to be uh, and I think there already are to a certain degree kind of Iron Age um, influencers. Right. They may not. They're, mm-hmm. they're probably not branding themselves as Iron Age influencers because they're probably bigger than the hashtag at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like I would say probably within like Comicsgate, Ethan Van Skyver obviously is the, the center of that. And before he branded the name or anything else that you want to talk about there, he was, I would say, still a kind of an influencer tastemaker to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you'll see more of those kinds of things. Now, mind you, that's a little bit complicated because of his skill set, but um, I, I think that you'll probably eventually see people who do nothing but, or not nothing, but who, whose primary, um, what would you call it? Social media presence is interacting with media properties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I mean, that's those people of, are inevitable, like you that's said. That's kind of what we we do <laughs> in, in a sense, yeah. like you know, so, people that like need to appreciate this stuff and like want to, you know, for me, I, I just love it so much that I want to share with people. And I've always, I've always been that type of nerd proselytizing what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Same. It's people like you that make the world go round, Nikki. I will say that uh, maybe it's my age, but I, the whole concept of an Instagram, not the Instagram, but just an influencer in general, like you're famous for being famous. Like that just uh, something I have trouble wrapping my head around. Well, see, so, that's kind of a bastardization of the idea of an influencer. Like, my favorite influencer is Jack Spearco, and it's because the community of people that surrounds him tend to be interested in the same things I'm in and tend to not bump heads with me too much. Like, if I want to learn about <laughs> raising chickens and enhancing my garden, there's going to be people in there that I go to. And is that because he set out to be a famous person? Maybe, maybe not. It's just you know, when you're re- when you're new enough to something and you're what you have to say, people gravitate towards it's just what happens. Now, if you're talking like people like PewDiePie and stuff, stuff like that, that got super huge. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, my daughter, I, I love the fact that my daughter loves talking to me about fandoms now. She's nine years old. And for her, her fandom is the FNAF fandom. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, so I have she's no idea what that is. <laughs> she's obsessed with like fan theories about Friday nights at Friday or Five Nights at Freddy's oh. the, the video games. Okay. And while I don't particularly like that, I, number one, I'm excited that it's a horror game, and number mm-hmm. two, I'm excited that my daughter's found something and like that she can take her t- sink her teeth into like Dungeons and Dragons and horror was for me when I was growing up. Yeah, with me, and my stepson, same thing. He's really into. Fr- you know, Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, I draw the line at Fortnite. I want to crush that <laughs> dream as hard as I can, as long as I can. I despise that game on every level. Oh, God. We can Why don't they just play Legos? Well, for the record, my daughter's <laughs> well, never that's what Minecraft a, is. My, my daughter's never played a single one of the Fr- Five Nights at Freddy's games. She's only she? ever watched the videos and fan theories. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think it's more enjoyable the game. I've played the game and I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm into Hellraiser. This is kind of very low tier horror for me. You know, it's oh. jump scares and cheesy shit. Yeah. Bleep that out, Jr. Um, okay, we'll do. Wink, wink. <laughs> well, what I what I'm more amazed in is the fact that like what that game was. You, you don't do anything in that game. You sit in a room and like push buttons and they managed yeah. to make that a convincing game that people were willing to play. I'm like from a, from a history of video game standpoint, that's pretty amazing that it did mm-hmm. as well as it did considering <laughs> there's nothing to it. Yeah. But I, so, I'm all about sparking passion in people's fandoms. I don't care what exactly. it is. Be passionate about something. I think that's something that's kind of lost in society right now. No long-term fan, no long-term passion. So whatever the flavor of the week is. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll poo poo on that all day long. But if you have something that's gonna, well, you know, the, really influence you, look at the brick going. wall Marvel hit. Yeah, like even the good mm-hmm. movies now are, are, are like doing nothing. Like I, all I've heard is pretty good things about like Guardians of the Galaxy, and I know James Gunn rarely like screws up that badly that it's not watchable. And look at the numbers on it. It's, it's <laughs> nothing. I used like to be the, the midnight showing guy during the mcu after iron man you know and that took off and started the mcu i was the midnight showing guy oh it's thursday night 11 59 i was there mm-hmm. you know and the last marvel movie i watched in the theater was uh ant-man quantum mania i was like eh, okay that looked that was good i enjoyed so, it but everything else i was just like oh i'll wait till disney plus gets it mm-hmm. so you you mentioned like on the one hand you want you don't want to be gatekeepers prevent people from servicing whatever weird niche. I mean, there is Yeti romance novels, Sasquatch romance <laughs> novels out there. And, and while I don't read it, I I got no hate for you if you do. Like I won't yuck your yum, right? But Bro. on the other hand, you want to keep it open for everyone. So you don't want that gatekeeper mentality, but you do want quality. I mean, it used to be I see some of those major literary awards, and that was a novel I wanted to read. Now I see it and I'm like, oh, that's a warning. I don't want that. It's become so tarnished. So how do you protect the Iron Age media brand going forward so you don't get the same taint that is some of what is corrupting modern fandom culture? Well, I, so I would I would say that there's the Iron Age media, like IronAge.media is like a brand of my own and I'm doing my best to like kind of manage that. But uh, as far as like the Iron Age as a whole, like it, unfortunately, it's kind of beyond our control. You know what I mean? I, I would say that there's a number of things, and and Razorfist kind of talks about this in the original uh, video where he he mentioned the Iron Age uh, in reference to the Ripperverse and everything else. But you know he. He said that a lot of these, you know, gates and and everything else uh, movements have been about like they've been driven by anger, right, and frustration, and those things are like I don't blame anybody for feeling angry or frustrated with with those various things. You know what I mean? But like Comics Gate is a perfect example. But we didn't like being preached to anymore. Yeah, but if you don't have a positive, um, like, like if you aren't creating something then eventually you run out of things to be angry about um, except and you turn internal. And so I think the iron age being a very um, kind of like broad umbrella, at least this is my hope. My hope is that it being a broad umbrella and 
um, trying to highlight more positive and encourage creation as well as, um, you know, not trying to absorb all of these subcultures that have popped up. Um, I think that that's really where it goes because I think that comic skate should exist. And I think that, you know, if there wants to, if people want to keep, keep comic skate or some subgroup within it, I think they should, you know, mm -hmm. like the, I think that it's up to these individual communities to, um, come up with their own standards and everything else. I'm just, you know, uh, Nikki, you, you can jump in anytime, but uh, personally, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of provide the the umbrella and have like kind of a non-aggression. For, for me, it's about like, it, for me, it's a, just about sharing excitement. Like I think oh, there are, like, a lot of consumer, consumer movements, as I had a guest refer to comics gate, like he never came out and said comics gate in the episode I did with him. He kept referring to it as like a consumer revolt or a, a consumer response because when you were in these nerd spaces, you never know what person's going to fall where. And most of us don't want to step in anybody's toes. Like we don't want to make everything a political conversation. And I think the one thing that's from the beginning to me has felt different about like the iron age movement versus things like comic skate is that it's felt more of like an excitement. It's people are just like, you know what? God, I'm just goddamn, goddamn happy. Things are being made. Like, let's, can mm -hmm. we just can we just be happy that people are doing stuff? Like, whether or not I like it, great. You know, the more people, frankly, the more people in the LGBTQ community that go out and make comic books that appeal to them and their people, the, the less the, the the less that the people in top are going to have to be able to pander to them because they're going to have better content that they can watch for themselves. Yeah. You know, everyone, go do your thing. Stop relying on somebody at the top to tell you it's okay and give you a bunch of money to go and make a half-assed version of it. You know, right. It reminds me of that meme of like, shh, let people enjoy things. <laughs> exactly. You know, every there's so much space, you know, in the indie world where you're talking about novelizations, comic books, video games, etc., that you can tell your story or make your game for your demographic or the demographic that you're trying to reach. I mean, I think uh, Eric July, he did. He was very successful. I was one of the first ones to, to order that book. As soon as I heard about it, I was like. Hmm, let's give it a go and it's really good but you know there's enough space out there where everybody like if you're talking about like diversity inclusion all those kinds of talking points and all those kinds of narratives is that there's enough room in this space for everybody to have their own narrative mm -hmm. to push their own little idea push their ideas and what they want the the audience that they want to speak to with their story mm -hmm. or whatever you know I, I don't know why we we keep trying to get mad at the other group like comic states a big zap catches a lot of heat you know it's like well how come you don't have any gay characters well i'll tell you what if i created a gay character you'd get mad at me because i am a uh cis white male yeah and i don't understand the experience and, and i don't understand the experience even though What's... i could do as much research because that's what authors used to do is do a buttload of research to is that what you, is that what you call it Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, these are all people yeah, because if I call research, my uh, deviancy is a tax write-off. So. Okay, what, there you go. All right. What's That's funny clever. is that you know that video that they were all talking about, like that group of you know um, gay people that got together and had their like, how do we instill more gay characters in comics, things like that. One of my favorite comic book create comic creators was actually in that meeting. And it bothered me so much because he's one of the best writers, in my opinion, making comics right now. Um, the the nice house on the lake was one of his. 
like uh, was it something is killing the children is one of his like he did did a run of uh you know the, this new sandman that they had out like he, he's done a bunch of great comics you know he's done good good runs of batman and i it, he'll have like gay and trans characters but it never bothers me because they're just part of the story it, it, but the stories revolve around things they're just stories yeah and it's it, like it's a... you're not he he's successful because he's not shoehorning in ideas in places they don't necessarily need to be and he's just letting representation be representation and i can appreciate that but it was like dude i wish any one of these people in the, that you're talking to was half as good at writing comics as you are and it's like you're letting me down by being here dealing with them and not just being a creator it's, it's rough <laughs> yeah okay so as we wrap this up, if there's anything, dear listener, in the comment section that you wanted us to dive into with the Iron Age media, with some of the topics they brought up that you want us to have them back for, just uh, just write that in the comment section or message us directly. We'll, we'll list all of our social medias and theirs at the end. Um, but with that being said, uh, Nikki and Richard, was there anything that you guys wanted to tell us that we didn't ask before we wrap this up? No, I, I guess just thank you very much for having me on. I enjoyed talking about it. And uh, yeah, anybody who wants to learn more about the Iron Age, uh, just hop on Twitter, go to ironage.media or check out uh, Iron Age Marketing. Man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. There's all, there's all sorts of people out there. You really, uh, you, you will find somebody that you are excited about, I think. I've had nothing but fun conversations with people for, you know, since January and I started doing the podcast, so... I'm anyone who's, uh, you know, self-publishing out there wants to get on. I look forward to talking to you. If you want help actually building an audience, you know, ironneedsmarketing.com, and I would love to help you. Okay. So this is the part of the interview, dear listener, dear viewer, where I say, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. And rumor has it when they get their hundredth review, the, uh, the marketing gods will drop off a unicorn for them to grow up. And I, for one, would like to know what a unicorn steak tastes like. And with that being said, before we let you go, Nikki and Richard, how do you take your steaks? There is a wrong answer here. We will judge you. But how do you like your steak? Medium. Oh. Oh. As a burger. As a, <laughs> As a burger. <laughs> Nick, do you want to tell what the right answer is? That, the right answer is anything below well done. I was going to say with the white answers, however, the hell you want to eat it. But sure, we learned nothing from this episode. I mean, slathered in blue cheese. That's my. That's the important thing for me. I, oh, blue cheese is good. Uh, for me, a good vet should be able to bring it back to life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, every time I think of that question, when people ask it, I'm reminded of that scene in um, The Demolition Man where he's eating the burger. And he goes, this yeah. is really good. And uh, the, the female cop, I can't remember her name. She's like, do you see any cows around here? And then a rat scurries across. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good rat burger. <laughs> Good rat burger. All right. So uh, as we as we wrap this up, Nikki, can you tell listeners and viewers how they can find you on the wild wild interwebs? Uh or just look up Nikki Pinecone. That is a unique last name, and it makes it very easy to remember. So we appreciate you picking that. I thought you were messing with me when you told me who the guest was. I was like, Nikki <laughs> Pinecone? Is it pronounced like Picone? <laughs> my, 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 actual, my actual name is Nick Pacone, but I've been called Pinecone for years. I just said I'm going to own it since I like nature anyways. My last name is Garber. I've been called garbage my entire life. I've just accepted it. <laughs> I mean, you know, Handley, Hansy, it happens. My drill sergeant's had a field day. Yeah, so did mine. <laughs> I, I feel your pain. 
feel your pain. All right, and Richard, how can listeners and viewers find you? Just ironage.media. Uh, there's new really articles easy. and yeah, I was going to say there's new articles and um, new prompts going up all the time. Currently, we've got April voting. So if you want to read some short stories um, or poetry or even uh, take a look at some art, it's all up there. Vote for your favorites. Okay. And uh, you can find us, dear listener, over on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com back com not crom com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we do have a facebook page eventually we'll get doc to give a dedicated url but in the meantime you still have to search for it manually we appreciate that you do you give the like follow and all the things it does help spread the words we like to share things like book reviews from upstream reviews book reviews from people's websites recommendations on the hottest new thing and of course our own episodes when they go live we have a website uh, over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on these episodes aren't free to produce there is a little bit of overhead and we do appreciate your generosity you could support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put it in the comment section that is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts doc seska and nick garber duly caffeinated they will drink until their liver explodes because his mama didn't raise no quitter and i'm gonna assume that's coffee in the cup that you just downed and totally not straight whiskey <laughs> absolutely not sir <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boo.